This show was originally broadcast on the 23rd of October, 2017. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. And on this gruesome edition, we delve into head transplants. But first up, Severed Heads. Here's an interview Lachlan Watmore and I recorded at the Festival of Science at the Australian National University in 1999 about keeping severed heads alive. The interview has been retrieved from the low bitrate audio stream that FM radio stations used to use in those days. So, it sounds a little buzzy. We spoke with Dr. Stephen Juan, an anthropologist from Sydney University who specialises in oddities of the human body. Lachlan began by asking, Can someone who's been guillotined feel their nose hit the basket? And can we keep a severed head alive? Yeah, well, that are the two questions there. Yeah, there, there was research actually done during the French Revolution that there was a, a French physician that was interested in human physiology and he actually got people who were ready to be guillotined and he actually got them to, uh, to contribute to his experiment. Mm-hmm. What he had them do is he trained them to keep blinking. Mm-hmm. blink as much as they could and when their when their heads were cut off he then looked at their heads to see how long it took for them to stop blinking mm-hmm. and the range was from a little under two seconds to about 16 seconds believe it or not good, good. 16, 16 seconds yeah. but what happened is that the blinking started to to slow down mm-hmm. and uh, of course the faces had uh, terrified expressions on them yeah it's funny that yeah. and uh, and so you don't really know what this whether the blinking was really cautious or not, or whether it was just nerves dealing with the shock. Yeah. But a minimum of about a, a second and a half or two seconds. So that's a pretty frightening thing. So yes, uh, to answer the question, you probably would be able to feel your nose hit the, hit the basket when you got your head cut off. Okay. Now, you, you, asked about the, you asked the question about can we keep a severed head alive? Yes, it now, is. Now, scientifically, there has been a patent that's been approved by the U.S. government in 1988 for a device that does do just that, that attempts to keep brain fluids, brain, uh, blood circulation, all of this mm-hmm. uh, in a severed head. And the, the head is, of course, uh, severed from the body, and it's placed on top of what is called a perfusing device. And the perfusing device has all sorts of plastic tubes and pumps and all of this to keep all the levels correct. You'll be able to think, see, uh, hear, possibly smell as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. possibly taste as well. Have basically all of your senses there. Can you move your This I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, uh, it would depend on what muscles are involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I, I wouldn't know. But, but, but certainly cognition, yeah. and thinking you'd be able to to uh, to have that. Now the the idea is, you know, why would somebody you know, invent such a machine? If let's say you know we get robotic technology, Android technology to the to the uh, extent to, to develop that we can actually put a biological human head on top of a machine. Mm. Uh, and then let's say someone dies of uh, lung cancer or stomach cancer or liver cancer or something, their brain is fine, but their body is packed up. Yeah. So this is why, you know, there might be a possible application of this. And, you know, Android technology is developing so quickly mm -hmm. that, that we're going to very soon be to the point where uh, a... Uh, an artificial body will be indistinguishable from a, a biological human body. In mm. fact, in the March issue of Discover Magazine, there is an article, or sorry, there is a quote by the, the Stanford University engineer who in the 50s invented the term artificial intelligence, and he's quoted as saying, the mm. technology is occurring so quickly that these androids are becoming more and more like humans just around the corner. We're talking about maybe a decade. Yeah. He says that we have to right now define androids as appliances rather than people or else we're going to be confused. <laughs> right. It's extraordinary yeah. stuff. That was anthropologist Dr. Stephen Juan from the University of Sydney in 1999. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Next up, head transplants. Psst. Want a new body? The operation is called cerebrosomatic anastomosis. Italian neurosurgeon Dr. Sergio Canavero plans the first transplant of a human head to a different human body using a procedure he calls heaven. Dr. Canavero plans to take the head of a Chinese citizen and transplant them to a new donor body. His efforts are built on a new way of reconnecting severed spinal nerves using polyethylene glycol, PEG PEG, a polymer that's often used in gel form in industry and medicine. Korean researchers have successfully reconnected severed spinal nerves in mice using polyethylene glycol. The mice were able to walk and move normally after their nerves were reconnected and they had a time of recovery. Not only could you cure whatever was killing the person whose head is transplanted by giving them a healthier body, but if the body is younger, then their brain would experience rejuvenation from using younger blood in a younger body and they would feel young and live longer. Dr. Canavero announced his intentions in a 2013 paper in Surgical Neurology International, and then in a 2014 TEDx video talk, and published a more detailed paper in the September 2016 issue of the journal Surgical Neurology International, titled Human Head Transplantation, Where Do We Stand? and A Call to Arms. The head anastomosis venture, or HEAVEN, procedure, will involve cooling both the head and the receiving donor body to extend the time their cells can survive without oxygen. The tissue around the neck will be dissected and the major blood vessels linked using tiny tubes before the spinal cords of each person are cut with an exceptionally sharp special $200,000 blade. The head would then be moved onto the donor body and the ends of their spinal cords fused together using polyethylene glycol. The secret sauce 
that glues together the fatty membranes of nerve cells, allowing them to reconnect. Next, the muscles and blood supply would be stitched together. The recipient would be kept in a coma for three or four weeks to prevent movement. Implanted electrodes would be used to provide regular electrical stimulation to the spinal cord because the research suggests this can strengthen new nerve connections. Ideally, the person would recover full use of their new body, but nobody knows if it'll work the first time. Dr. Canavero wants to perform this surgery on humans within the next 12 months. If you can rejoin a severed spinal cord, then you can cure many types of spinal injuries and perhaps transplant an entire head. In 2014, Dr. Canavero gave a TEDx talk where he announced that he would perform this surgery in 2017 on Valery Spiridonov, who is dying from Wernick-Hoffmann disease, a genetic illness that breaks down muscles and kills nerve cells in the brain and spinal cord. It's a horrible, humiliating death, where his muscles continue to fail him until he suffocates. It's understandable that Valery Spiridonov saw the heaven head transplant as a gamble worth taking. He had little to lose. In 2017, however, Mr. Spiridonov has decided instead to try alternative spinal surgery. Dr. Canavero's new plan is to work with his longtime collaborator, Chinese neurosurgeon Chaoping Ren of Harbin Medical University, in 2008 to transport the head of a new volunteer in China. The donor body may even come from an executed criminal. It's one of the possibilities under consideration. Dr. Ren was part of the team that performed the first hand transplant in the US. In the 1950s, Soviet scientists attached a freshly decapitated dog's head onto the body of another dog that still had its original head, creating a two-headed dog. The fact that the head was an extra meant that the operation was seen as a head transplant. This has meant that despite everyone agreeing that most of your identity is in your head, the transplantation of a head onto a new body is now commonly referred to as a head transplant and not a body transplant. That would be something else. Only the dog's blood vessels could be connected in 1950. In 1970, a rhesus monkey's head was transplanted onto a decapitated monkey's body by Robert White in the USA. Again, the severed nerves weren't rejoined because nobody knew how, so the monkey was paralysed and needed a machine to keep it breathing. Until it died nine days later. This is where the modern experiments with polyethylene glycol could change everything. In 2014, Chaoping Ren and colleagues in China transplanted the heads of mice onto new bodies and allowed them to breathe on their own by leaving the donor mice's hindbrain on their bodies when the new head was transplanted without its own hindbrain. The mice survived three days. In 2016, Siyuk Kim and his team at Concord University in Seoul, who have been working closely with Dr. Canavero, severed the spinal cords of 16 mice. They injected polyethylene glycol into the gap between the cut ends of the spinal cord in half of the mice, while the rest were injected with saline. After four weeks, they report that five of the eight mice in the polyethylene glycol group had regained some ability to move, 
compare with none of the control group. The other three polyethylene glycol-treated mice died, as did all of those in the control group. They published their results in the journal Surgical Neurology International with the title Gemini, Initial Behavioural Results After Full Severance of the Cervical Spinal Cord in Mice. A team at Rice University in Houston, Texas, wanted to help, so they added conductive carbon nanoribbons to polyethylene glycol. Polyethylene glycol encourages the fat in cell membranes to mesh, bringing cells together, a process that may be enhanced by the nanoribbons, which are thought to provide scaffolding that encourages neurons to grow towards each other and connect. The nanoribbons are able to conduct electrical current, which helps neurons grow and neurons seem to prefer to grow along this scaffolding, which helps them meet and fuse together. The South Korean team have nicknamed the enhanced solution Texas Pig, and injected it into five rats at the point where they'd severed their spinal cords. Five control rats were given saline instead. The next day they tried a small current in the spinal cords of the rats. A tiny amount of current flowed in the rats injected with Texas Pig, but none in the control rats. Then the lab was flooded in an accident and four of the five treated rats drowned. After two weeks, the surviving rat treated with a nanoribbon polyethylene glycol could walk, stand and feed itself. The fact that there was only one treated rat in the study attracted a lot of criticism because you need a larger sample size to rule out chance events. In 2016, Dr. Canavero with the Korean team cut a dog's spinal cord and then reattached it using polyethylene glycol with his Gemini technique. The following day, the dog was completely paralysed, but after three days, the dog had minimal movement in all four limbs. After two weeks, the dog was able to drag its hind limbs by its torso and forelimbs, and during the third week, it was able to walk. The dog began to grab objects, wag its tail, and apparently resume a normal life. There was no control dog in the experiment. Dr. Canavero released videos of the dog walking after three weeks of recovery, saying it had recovered 90% of its motor abilities. He published his results in Surgical Neurology International, with the title Accelerated Recovery of Sensory Motor Function in a dog submitted to quasi-total transection of the cervical spinal cord and treated with PEG. In 2017, Dr. Canavero and Dr. Wren transplanted the head of a small rat onto a larger rat's body without trying to reconnect the nerves, reproducing the 1950s dog experiment. A third rat was used to provide enough oxygenated blood to the donor head during the surgery. The transplanted head was able to demonstrate sight and that it felt pain by means of reacting with reflex tests. This experiment was reported in the June 2017 issue of the journal CNS Neuroscience and Therapeutics with the title, A Cross-Circulated Bicephalic Model of Head Transplantation. In a press release, Dr. Canavero reports that he and his team carried out a head transplant on a monkey, reproducing the 1970 experiment by Robert White but the paper has yet to be published. He says they connected the blood supply between the head and the new body, but as in 1970, didn't attempt to connect the spinal cord. 
many people instantly dismiss Dr. Canavero as a mad scientist because he's cut corners on very ambitious research. However, as you read the research and follow his talk on YouTube, you can see that it mostly makes sense, despite his overly theatrical and self-aggrandizing terms and flourishes. I think this is important work with huge implications for all kinds of health issues and not so crazy if it's done systematically. However, as you hear that he calls the spinal cord fusion protocol Gemini and the head transplant protocol Heaven, you start to wonder if he's just got a big ego or if there's a bigger delusion waiting to surface. Then at 15 minutes into the TEDx talk, he lets it slip. It's not enough for him to have been the first to transplant a dying person's head onto a donut body. He's after immortality on a grander scale. As you all know, there are many patients who are reanimated after a heart arrest, brought back to life. And several of these report what is called near, a near-death experience. They see tunnels of light. They feel like they are in another world, which is more real than this one. Now, according to materialist science, this is the product of a dying brain that is being revived. Now, I belong to a group of scientists who believe otherwise, who believe that the brain is only a filter, does not generate consciousness. Now, during the transference of the head on the new body, the head will be cooled to 10 degrees Celsius and will be bloodless. It will be as dead as it gets, clinically gone. Now, I expect that upon reawakening, the subjects will report a full-blown near-death near experience. When this happens, we will have final proof that once you die, once the brain dies, consciousness survives. And again, for 10 million euros. Now, the idea that the brain is not the origin of the mind, but instead a filter or receiver is not a new one. However, it's easily refuted with beer. If the brain doesn't house our memories and ability to think, but is merely a remote control receiver for a mind elsewhere in the multiverse, then damaging your brain shouldn't affect your ability to remember or think. It should only change your ability to control your body and perhaps your ability to perceive your senses. When you get drunk, your body has trouble with memory and thinking. The same goes for a bash on the head and any neurotoxin you might be exposed to. Clearly, if you alter your head, then your intellectual and emotional abilities can also change, which is why people drink coffee first thing in the morning. Dr. Canavero is simply wrong on this issue. The brain is the origin of the mind, although we're also affected by our gut bacteria, our entire nervous system, and our body. Someone who survives having their head transplanted onto a different body will feel different, whether they're more confident, more anxious, or some other change to their temperament. A successful head transplant and proof of life after death are not ambitious enough for Dr. Canavero. He already plans to conduct the world's first brain transplant, or the full body transplant, as it's also known, by 2020. He's already started to assemble a team. In the end, before 
we all go truly bananas, including the experts who blasted heaven and now see their funds in jeopardy, we must all remember the words of a great revolutionary, Gandhi. First, they ignore you. Then, they laugh at you. Then, they fight you. Then, you win. Hey, you Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. It's good to see you, buddy. How have you been? Things have been okay for me, except that I'm a zombie now. I really wish you'd let us in. I think I speak for all of us when I say I understand why you folks might hesitate to submit to our demand. But here's an FYI, you're all I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. All we want to do is eat your brains. We're at an impasse here. Maybe we should compromise. If you open up the door, we'll all come inside and eat your brains. I don't wanna nitpick, Tom, but is this really Plan. Spend your whole life locked inside a mall Maybe that's okay for now But someday you'll be out of food and guns And you'll have to make the call I'm not surprised to see you haven't thought it through enough You never had the head for all that bigger Stuff. But Tom, that's what I do, and I plan on eating you slowly. All we want to do is eat your brains. We're not unreasonable, I mean no one's gonna eat your eyes.
report back to my colleagues who were chewing on the doors. I guess we'll table this for now. I'm glad to see you take constructive criticism well. Thank you for your time. I know we're all busy as hell. And we'll put this thing to bed when I bash your I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're at an impasse here. Maybe we should compromise. Open up the doors. We'll all come inside and eat your brains. That was Re Your Brains by Jonathan Coulton. You can find more geeky music at jonathancoulton.com. Would you like to hear your own voice on radio? Record a voice memo on your phone or use the voicemail tab on the Diffusion website. We need more people contributing stories. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. Join my patrons in supporting the show at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network, including two RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, eight Triple C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, two NVR in Nambucca Valley, and three MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos from this week's show. However gruesome they might sound. If you enjoyed this show, you can explore more than 900 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits photography, collecting, 
Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.